We all have big dreams, but far too often, we never give them a chance to come true. Well, that all changes today. Welcome to Just Keep Learning, where we'll help you develop the right mindset, be more productive, and learn more effectively so you can accomplish anything. Here's your host, Justin at Just Tries. Let's go. The first time I've heard that introduction and it sounds great. Thank you so much to Tim Page and his team for putting it together. Something else that's new on the show is after popular demand and advice from podcast experts, John Lee Dumas, David Meltzer, as well as today's guest, I'll be making the big leap to creating solo episodes. For the longest time, I didn't want to do this because I simply love interviews, but I'm convinced now that doing both will be the best of both worlds. So whenever there isn't an interview episode, there will be a solo episode, which will be short. I'm thinking anywhere between five and 20 minutes that gets right to the heart of helping you with growth mindset, learning skills, and achieving your goals. So if this is something you might appreciate, then you can simply click on the white episode cards with my cartoon face and enjoy. If you know anyone they might help, please pass them along. And most importantly, if you have topics you would like me to dive deep into on the show, feel free to reach out. And don't worry, the interviews will never go away. In fact, we have so many incredible ones we're about to upload that I'm really excited. Speaking of incredible interviews, our guest today has always found a way to get her career more and more aligned with her purpose. She has a lot of confidence to pursue what she wants to do because she is a big believer that we are here for a good time, not a long time. We chat about learning and being multi-passionate. As someone who was diagnosed with a nonverbal learning disability in the early years, it's inspiring and exciting to see all of the success she has created in her biggest passion area of podcasting. She's hosted and produced multiple shows, is the founder of Earbuds Collective Newsletter, co-creator of Outlier Podfest, and the community manager at Squadcast. She is an amazing role model with a special knack for community building and storytelling. Please welcome to episode 25, Ariel Nissenblatt. If I were to bring you into, let's say, uh, a school where I knew that youth were going to be starting their own podcasts as a project, and you came in as a guest speaker, but you had the opportunity to introduce yourself, who are you and kind of what do you do? Hi, kids. My name is Ariel Nissenblatt, and I am a big fan of listening to stories. I started listening to stories in the form of podcasts in, in 2017. I've just really loved this industry. Depends how old the kids are, you know? <laughs> Let's go with 17. Okay, that's good. I, I can mostly speak to them as adults. Yeah, so podcasts are my favorite thing. I love listening to audio. And after a while, I decided that I really wanted to work in this industry. So right now I'm a community manager and we could talk about what that is because it kind of can have different meanings depending on the company that you work for. I'm the community manager for Squadcast, which is a remote recording platform, a SaaS platform, software as a service. And um, I also do many other things in the podcast space. I run a podcast recommendation newsletter called Earbuds Podcast Collective that is both a newsletter and a podcast, a podcast recommendation podcast. I also help people get better at using social media to promote their podcasts. I help with strategic planning for podcasters, how to create a podcast for your business, and really just try to keep up with all the things that are going on in the podcast space. I think it's a really fun space to be in. And I think audio is the future. We can talk past and future, I suppose. But to go to the past first, what do you think it was that attracted you to podcasts? My first job out of college 
was a fellowship. So there were other people my age. We were all working at a Jewish nonprofit in Mississippi. Because of the nature of the job, we were all very close. Everybody was friends with each other. We were all around the same age. And we were all listening to podcasts, except for me. I was not listening to podcasts. That's when Serial came out. It was 2014. And I refused to listen because everybody else was listening. And I was like, I don't want to be like everybody else. They wouldn't know this. This is kind of like my own stubbornness in my head. I was like, I don't want to do that. But then they were listening and they were talking about it. And the story sounded incredible. And I was like, I have to listen to this, but I don't want to tell anyone. (laughs) So I listened to it in silence. And then finally I came back into the office and I was like, I listened. It's amazing. I'm sorry that I resisted for this long. And from then I was just very into listening to audio. I was driving a lot at the time, living in Jackson, the nature of the job. We would travel to different synagogues throughout the South. And if it were a short enough drive, we would drive it. Otherwise we would fly. It gets really boring to drive for that long, but not when you have podcasts. I really got good at listening for hours. I could go five hours without stopping as long as I had a really captivating podcast or story or audiobook in my ears. So that's what first got me into podcasts as a listener. And then I moved to Los Angeles in 2016 and was stuck in traffic all the time. And again, was fine with it because I was listening to podcasts. And that's when I started thinking there's something more to this than just listening passively. I think I could be part of this industry in some way. I didn't know how yet, but I just kept listening and was inspired by other people's ideas and over time came up with the concept for Earbuds Podcast Collective and that led to a lot more. I love that you used the term yet there because a growth mindset is a big part of this show and what I hope that people will get from this show, appreciating that we can be lifelong learners. The fact that you took that leap towards podcasting without knowing how it would sort of sort itself out is pretty cool. Uh, Before I get into things about podcasting or maybe volunteering or different stuff, really important question. Can you spell Mississippi like really fast? M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. I knew you might be able to and I don't want to try right now, but maybe I'll try later. What brought you into that world of of volunteering? Like, was that sort of that mission that you went on? Was that something that you had planned in your pathway? Or did it just kind of come about? What brought you to that world? Yeah, yeah. Let me clarify. It wasn't volunteering. It was a full-time job. It was my first full-time job after college. Um, I'd been working in the Jewish world for a while. Growing up, I you know, was relatively observant. I didn't keep Shabbat. I don't know how familiar you are with um, Jewish concepts, but I didn't I wasn't like religious, religious, but I knew of, I knew a lot. Like I can read Hebrew. I can, I could read the Torah if you gave me some time. I don't necessarily believe in God, but I'm very culturally aware of Jewish traditions and things like that. And with that, and I went to Jewish camp. I went to Jewish school. Really, I'm like the poster child for like Judaism. It's really, it's a lot. (laughs) The pop culture poster child in a way. Yes. You can connect everyone to it. Yeah, that's neat. That's right. And a big Jewish geography person. I can... If you name somebody in your town, I might know them based on connections with other people. It's a whole thing. But with that, I didn't really know what I wanted to do after college. And I applied for a Fulbright, made it to the last round of, I was going to go to Greece to do a teaching fellowship. Actually, this kind of does relate. And I made it to the last round, got rejected. This was like March of 2014. I was graduating two months later. I thought, what am I going to do? And then I went on this website called jewishjobs.com, which is a website. (laughs) It's pretty shocking. And um, I was like, what's the weird? thing I could do. So I just searched, you could search for jobs by state. And I was like, huh, why is there a Jewish job in Mississippi? And I clicked on it. And it turns out there's this long running fellowship since I think the year 2000 that people have been doing this two year fellowship where they go in, they are in cohorts. So it's your 
you're, you have a cohort of five other people. So I moved down to Jackson in May and I am still best friends with a lot of my cohort mates, however many years later. The job was a really cool experience, not just living in Jackson, but also getting to travel throughout the South and meeting different people. And I studied geography in college. So learning about the interstate systems from all the driving was really great. And mostly it, it introduced me to podcasts. Yeah, that, that's really cool. When it comes to mentioning college, I, I guess a big part of this show also is talking about that learning journey. And so it's always neat to see people go through so many sort of paths and twists and turns that comes up in every episode, maybe even more than I had expected fully. But what was uh, learning and school like? What was the background, you know, kind of early days, whether that's elementary school or high school? Yeah. That, what were you like as a learner in school? Oh, I love this question. I don't get asked this very often on podcasts. It's usually all about podcasts, my expertise. But yeah, um, growing up, I was diagnosed with a nonverbal learning disability. So I was bad at math, I think is what that means. Or writing. Yeah, but not that for me. <laughs> I was pretty good at writing. They said that the dichotomy was that I was very good at verbal stuff, verbal and writing, and really not great at math. And the middle, like the, the space between that, it, it gave me a false sense that I was dumb. And also I found, and maybe you hear this often with your interviewees, that people at the time, this was the early 2000s, teachers especially put such an emphasis on math skills. If you're not really succeeding in math and standing out and able to do all your multiplication tables and even further concepts than that, then you must be dumb. <laughs> so um, I definitely had a sense that I was not doing as well as my as my peers, which was absolutely not true, but it really affected me. In fourth grade is when I started having to go to the resource room during math and learn from a one-on-one -on -one tutor. And man, they think that that's gonna help you, but it just destroys your self-esteem you know, life goes on, I'm still pretty good at the rest of the subjects out there, but it doesn't really matter because this math thing is weighing on me. Into high school, I'm in the remedial math class and really just not feeling good about the rest of my studies. I didn't really, I didn't really have any passions in high school for academics. And I really thought that I was just like an average kid. And then I went to college and I discovered the discipline of geography. And it turns out I'm in love with geography. And yeah, there are some math concepts in there, but it was stuff that I could handle because I was genuinely passionate about geography. And I was getting A's in every single class, even math-related classes and other classes that bordered on those spatial concepts. And it really drove my self-esteem up. That's kind of what got me to where I am here today. I am much more confident of, confident of a person than I was in elementary school, middle school, high school. I don't even think that my elementary school self would recognize me now because I... I'm louder than I was. I'm more confident. I am more chatty. All of it. I'm so happy to hear that because many go through similar experiences and never find their way out of it to use a terrible sort right. of like term. I don't know <laughs> what best way to put it. But point being, a lot of people that I hope listening to this show are people who maybe still are trying to figure out sort of how to make a comeback from those same types of experiences. And I feel like we could just dive deep into that stuff forever. We won't. But I have an eight year old uh, daughter myself, and it happens so young where you start to see them become aware of their surroundings how a teacher talks to them in such it could be even subtleties within the same room, let alone putting them in another room and how that impacts sort of their own mind and learning. And I just can't overemphasize for her or any youth that I learn uh, or meet or anything, how important it is to just focus on your creativity and I guess creative confidence. I think so. Yeah. It was just that every, I think, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, whenever math started, the teacher would say, okay, resource room kids, it's time for you to go. And it's like, what? So it was me and like seven other kids would leave. 
you know, at the time, I don't think we recognized like what that meant. But man, looking back, that is just not how I would have done things. <laughs> and of course, you couldn't at the time recognize what that meant because your brains weren't developed to a point where you can right. discern what that meant. And in a fascinating way, my right. brain lives in this sort of like very meta creative space. And I need to bring myself down to earth sometimes be less philosophical to do interviews like this. But I, I understand that teachers are trying their best to serve their students and to do good in this world. But because they're part of such a rigid system and institution, they really can't. That's what I've started to learn as far as educational reform goes, is that it's that difficult right now. Hence, this podcast show and these certain things that we're trying to do. But specifically for you, I think understanding why some people do find their way out of that, build the creative confidence. You mentioned geography being one of the big things. Did you feel like you did have like at least a small circle of support or some innate skills or personality traits that helped you start to find geography or find ways out of that? Yeah, I took a class my freshman year. First of all, every class that I took my freshman year, I just felt confident in. And it could be that I went to a Jewish day school my whole life and it was a small grade. It was 80 kids that I graduated with and everyone knew each other's business. Everybody was very competitive. And like I said, everybody was very math oriented. If you didn't succeed at math, you must not be as smart. There wasn't really that understanding that there were many different types of smarts or that you could delegate responsibilities when you get older. Like for me right now, I wouldn't trust myself with complex statistics, but I would hire somebody to do that and that's okay. But we didn't really learn that concept growing up. And we definitely didn't have that understanding in high school. So I think getting to college, succeeding in class, and then finding a geography class my second semester, where not only was I doing well, I was also coming up with ideas and going to office hours and having interesting conversations with my professors during office hours made me feel like I was on their playing field, that I was contributing to the growth of their knowledge as well. And that really helped me see myself as a citizen of the world, like somebody who could go somewhere after college and actually make a difference. And so I would say a personality trait that helped me get there is that in high school, it was really hammered home to me that when you get to college, the classes are gonna be bigger. You have to show up at office hours. You have to make your face known to this professor because not only will you become friends with them and over time that could mean recommendations and references, but it also could mean that they look more favorably upon you if you have an A minus, maybe it gets moved up to an A because they know you and they know that you care about what you're doing. Uh, so I definitely took that to heart and right when college started, I was at all of my professor's office hours right away. That idea of networking and just sort of showing up, I guess, being kind of present and, and there can definitely be super helpful. Now, would you consider yourself, I'm guessing maybe, but a multi-passionate person? Hell yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so it's a fair guess. What are, like, if, if you just did kind of list like all your, you don't have to list a, a hundred, but what are a bunch of them just to give people kind of an idea of all the things you're passionate about? Yeah, uh, I think it. I get new passions all the time. So I really wanna become a tour guide. So right now I'm really passionate about New York City history and really anywhere that I go, I look for a walking tour. I am really passionate about anything related to podcasts. I'm passionate about anything related to geography, especially maps and um, the Mercator projection system, which is, you know this? I'm familiar as like a definition, but you can feel free to uh, okay. allow everyone to know. <laughs> yeah, please, I feel like people should know. Just that 
the way that our maps are drawn often will accentuate the U.S. And that gives a false sense that the U.S. is bigger. For example, if you look at a map, you can see that Alaska is really, really, it's it's small. And if you look at it in real life, Alaska is a big percentage of the size of the U.S. And so just being aware of these different projections that exist within mapping is important to be aware of. I am passionate lately about TikTok, both as a consumer and as, mostly as a consumer. I laugh out loud so much. I really enjoy my time on TikTok. It has ruined my life to a certain extent because I don't sleep, but I really like it. (laughs) I'm passionate lately about, I want to say, just discovering new restaurants in New York. I'm uh, basically a vegan. I do eat cheese though, and um, I love finding new food. And I love also the concept that you're like, yeah, I could make my own food here, but I only live once and there's really good food outside of here. So I'm just giving myself some grace when it comes to that. I'm really passionate about rollerblading, but I recently broke my elbow. Here's the scar for the people who are watching. Yeah, I I hope to get back to that one day. I'm passionate about playing soccer. I still play. And here's a weird one. I'm really passionate about tennis, but I'm not good at it at all. (laughs) Which is a very important thing to point out. First off, before I forget about the elbow, I did hear that and I heard you tell the story. But because I know the story and others don't, do you want to kind of give the quick version of what happened? Yeah, I've been rollerblading for like 20 years. I'm a good rollerblader. I was wearing a helmet, all the things, all the precautions, except for elbow pads. It is what it is. They told me it wouldn't have done anything. I had successfully gone seven miles that day. I was doing well, five, seven, I don't really know how much. I'm sure I've changed the numbers here and there. And on my way back, I stepped up onto a tiled floor or the ground and it was tiled and I tried to take off and I fell. And my Apple Watch called 911, which was cool, but I ended up breaking my distal, my humerus. It was a distal humerus fracture and I had to have surgery and it was horrible, but um, it was my first time having surgery. And I'm grateful for the experience because I'd never had surgery before and now I have. I'm going very much in depth because this is my background, but did you have to have like repair to your tricep or anything? Do you know? Or was it just the bone? Just the bone. Oh, this is good news. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So with all those passions, like I think a a lot of people feel that they need to have that one niche, right? Um, I am a hip hop artist or I am a painter. How do you find as somebody who is multi-passionate, how you sort of balance or juggle them all? I have really leaned into the stuff. And if you ask any of my friends who have known me for my whole life, people that I grew up with, they would say, you know, you're a podcast person. Like Ariel is the podcast person. And that's true. It's definitely true. But I definitely have other passions as well. So I guess there's a difference between like your public persona and how you see yourself. So if I were to go on a history tour in New York City, a walking tour, I always make friends with the tour guides because I'm a tour guides pet, just like I was a teacher's pet in college. I would scurry up to the front and I'd be listening to them the whole time. I'd ask questions wherever I could. And at the end, I would say, how do I become a tour guide? You know, that's actually what I plan on doing next week when I go on a tour of the East Village of New York, because it's actually really hard to Google how to become a tour guide in New York. There's not really clear steps for there. So there's a cool opportunity for anybody who likes to blog and do some research. But I, they would think, the tour guide there would think that this person is really passionate about New York City. I wouldn't necessarily bring up podcasts right away. So it's just kind of, I think, how you choose to present yourself in that moment. Of course, podcasts would seep into it. I went on a bike tour a few weeks ago of Randall's Island, which was really cool. City Bike sponsored it, so we got free city bikes for the day. They gave us free helmets. It was really fun. And 
the tour guide had some really incredible stuff to share. One thing he missed out on, though, was a fact about North Brother Island, which is somewhere in northern Manhattan. And I knew about it because I'd listened to an episode on North Brother Island. I think it's called Brother. It's definitely Brother Island. I don't know if it's north, south, east, or west. Please excuse me, New York City history nerds. And It's only geography. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I mentioned an episode of The Bowery Boys. And of course, from then on, everybody who heard me say this out loud was asking me, what's the podcast? What's the podcast? How do you know so much about podcasts? So I became known on this tour as the person who was giving podcast recommendations. <laughs> so I think podcasts, because it's so broad and because you can listen to a podcast on absolutely anything, seep into the rest of my life. You know, I, I listen to geography podcasts. I listen to linguistics podcasts. And then I take that knowledge and I let it spark my passions in other areas as well. Now, you're like really successful too, I, I guess, by conventional standards or whatever. We could talk about the concept of success and how you define it, I suppose. And that may be a neat thing to touch on. But in general, like you have a job, you've succeeded at, you know, uh, securing jobs that you've wanted, like things that you set your sights on and you're successful. Let's just put it that way for now and come back to the definition later. But a lot of people who pursue these passions aren't able to manage their time to like make progress in them, right? Because they're too distracted. So do you use systems and habits around like the productivity piece of being multi-passionate? I wish. I'm not disorganized. I get everything done that I have committed to, but it is because I am always on the internet. I have 87 tabs open. That's not an exaggeration. And I am constantly clicking back through them and making sure that I've touched on everything. People who have systems in place are probably vomiting at how disorganized that is, but it works for me. I'm definitely open to suggestions. I have entertained Notion, which is a, a software that helps people stay organized. I have entertained other ways of staying organized. Some things have stuck along the way, but yeah, I guess it works for my brain right now. It keeps me passionate. It keeps me on my toes, but again, very open to suggestions. <laughs> Unless your computer crashes, I mean, that is a system in and of itself. I have a, yeah. I think it's in the book, Getting Things Done, The Art of Stress-Free Productivity. He talks about the idea of being super traditional with a system. And what's interesting is I used to use like Google Keep myself. And it's like, oh, that's cool because if I'm on my laptop or my phone or an iPad or I'm, you know, speaking to someone's Apple Watch, I can just add something. And what was interesting was it just doesn't work with my brain. So going low tech has helped me. I have a bind with tabs in it and they're basically tabbed by the priorities of things I'm working on, projects or initiatives, this podcast being one, this kind of stuff. Um, so that's something that has helped me. But I don't know. I think everyone needs to find their own systems. Yeah. That's something that I'm a, a fan of. And it sounds like your tabs work uh, unless your, your computer crashes. <laughs> Yeah, I used to be a planner person. Like I had an agenda book, a planner, and I would write down everything, every little thing so that I could cross it out. And I don't know, somewhere around the pandemic, when the pandemic started, I, I, I guess I lost the book and I put everything online. So now what I do is if I have to remember something, I say, hey, Siri, set a reminder for blank about this. And I, I put everything in my calendar. So if, uh, if it's not in my calendar, I will miss a meeting. And that's fine. It's just something that I need to be aware of. <laughs> Yeah, no, me too. That's exactly, that's one of mine for sure. And there you go. So now you got at least two systems and mm -hmm. I'm sure you got more that are sneaking around there. Mm -hmm. And so this, this idea of being successful, like what, how would you define success? For me, success means, unfortunately, this might be an Americanism, but success is having a full-time job that gives me healthcare, that gives me security, that gives me a purpose. And I think the sad Americanism there is the healthcare. <laughs> 
I also think money plays a lot into that. Capitalism is a huge part of success in this system that we're in. But on a different level, success for me is I feel passionate every single day about what I'm doing. And I have had full-time jobs before that I have not been passionate about, and those have been miserable. And some people might see that as success because, oh, she has a full-time job. I don't think that's success because I am not happy in my day-to-day. Here at Squadcast, at Earbuds, at all the other things that I'm doing, I am constantly challenged to come up with new ideas. I love marketing concepts, and I love connecting with people about how to tell their stories. But if I break that down a little bit more, it's I love being aware enough of this technology of podcasting to help others become aware of it as well. And I think that's a success for me. Well, and what is really interesting is it seems like a lot of that is service. I'm not trying to put words into your description, but a lot of the things you mentioned are coming up with ideas that serve others and all those sort of initiatives, which is really an interesting thing. Totally. And when you mentioned the Americanisms and the money and healthcare, I was curious where it would go next. And mentioning passion, I think really, or purpose, I think was the word you used, really clicked for me because I do feel like that is something that I would add. And if you hadn't mentioned it, I was going to bring it up because I think it's clear that you are passionate and serving with purpose. In, in a lot of what you're doing, which is pretty special. When you brought up the idea of screwing up to the front of the line to talk to the uh, tour guide uh, and that you already have that planned out for next week and the fact that you went into jobs that you weren't fueled by passion and purpose in, but <laughs> now you're at Squadcast. Now you're creating your own different ventures. What do you think it is in your personality characteristics or did you read a self-help book or hire a life coach or is it just you? You know, How did you become that person who is willing to go pursue those things you want Chase. I think it's podcasts. Podcasts, when I started listening, I just became exposed to all of these new people and all of these new stories that I had not been aware of beforehand. And maybe I listened to How I Built This. Maybe I listened to other entrepreneurial related podcasts that inspired me. But mostly, I think it's just being exposed to all these stories that makes you see yourself in those other people's shoes. Kind of gives you the permission to try something. I think for me, a big part is like being a weirdo and not really caring that you're coming off weird because ultimately nothing matters. like in life. So yeah, I think just I I feel free knowing that in a 100 years from now, maybe people will remember me, maybe they won't. But I love the idea that like, I can have a good time here and I can help people now. (laughs) So you two are quite meta and philosophical, I suppose that that's not a leap. Oh, yeah, I go to the afterlife real quick. Yeah, this isn't my episode for sure. And maybe someday we can run one back on a different show or something. But uh, I grew up living in a funeral home. <laughs> wow. And you learn a lot from that. But I also lost both my brothers in the last couple of years. And so it's been a pretty life changing time, to say the least. Wow. There are so many stories that come along with that life and being having that be a part of my life for now. And uh, me too, very quickly. And I think it's such a skill set that I've spoken about. I don't think I've ever spoken about it on this show. But it to me, it's a it's a skill set to be able to do that because it helps us be a little more carefree. But the trick is, I think a lot of people do that, but they're just saying it, right? You know, they don't actually feel it. And the other part of it is you mentioned that you are able to help people now and still live in the moment. Because sometimes people are like, oh, nothing matters. So I'm just not going to pursue anything and you quickly get to the sort of the depression route yeah. or version of that exact same phrase you know yeah that's definitely another side of it but i'm not there which is great <laughs> 
Yeah, for sure. And I'm sure there are things you do to kind of stay not there for now as much as a lot of it's out of our control. Storytelling is something that you've talked a lot about. It's in podcasting. I saw in your bio that you're alum from uh, SALT. Could you tell us a bit about like what SALT is? Yeah, SALT is a documentary program. It's part of the main College of Art and Design. And I last year did a three-month certificate program called the SALT Institute of Documentary Studies, where I studied audio. And this is a program that's been going on for a while. I think it started in the 70s in one iteration and it has evolved over the years. But I had a cohort of 12 other people, I want to say. Yeah, 12 other people who were all passionate about documentary storytelling, eight in audio, four in video. And this course was an intensive look at how to create high quality, beautiful audio stories. So while I moved to Maine for it, I moved to Portland, Maine. Uh, for this three months. And our goal was to learn Pro Tools, learn how to cut audio, how to get interviews, how to look for a great story, how to ask the right questions, how to get the right sound when you're in a recording environment, ethical considerations as well. You know, who should you be looking for a story from? What do you need to disclose to them? What stories should you tell as, for me, a white woman from New York in Maine? You know, should I go out and, and try to tell stories about populations that I'm not really a part of and if I do then how do I disclose that at the beginning of my at the beginning of my narration things like that so I just learned how to be aware of all these things it was a really great experience and the reason I did the program was because I felt that I knew a good deal about the business side of podcasts and I really wanted to at least have an understanding of the creative side and I definitely have done creative on my own with my podcast on podcast recommendations. I also had another podcast for a while with my friend. It was called Counter Programming, which is a podcast that we started during the pandemic. Uh, it was every episode had a different type of count or counter that we discussed. And we did episodes on marble, steel, granite, and wood, and recycled glass, and every type of count. It was very ridiculous. Uh, funny comedy infotainment show. And I'd definitely done shows like this in the past, but I wanted to have experience interviewing somebody and getting their story and finding a story and then cutting down their story and making sure that it was that it was interesting the, the entire way through. So what I ended up doing was our, our final project was to put together a 10 minute highly produced audio piece. So I ended up finding this guy named Sean, who was a metal detector. He was a, a metal. What do you call those people? He was a metal detectorist. That's what it is. He was a metal detectorist. I think that's what he calls himself. And he's also a diver. So he would get called throughout the Northeast to go find people's missing wedding rings, bracelets, what have you. And he would decide based on the circumstances whether it was worth it to go. So if the lake was a sand lake, a sand bottom lake, most likely you're not going to find it. If it's mud bottom, very unlikely. But if it's rocky, you might find it. So I learned about all these things. I interviewed him. I ended up also interviewing somebody whose ring he found in a really deep lake. And then I ended up putting their stories together so that one person told one sentence, the next person told the next sentence, all the way till the finding of the ring. It was a really fun story and I'm still in touch with the, the subjects within and uh, I re I'm really grateful for the experience. That's really cool. Documentary filmmaking or audio has always been a huge passion of my many passions. And I have some many things I've done here and there. I'd like to do a lot more in the future. I can really appreciate what you're saying around potentially vulnerable topics or subjects uh, of people who are marginalized in any way and these kinds of things, because I have access to youth jails, mental health crisis units, addiction centers. Wow. We have a school for teen moms that you know has 50 students and they bring their babies to school every day. It's wow. a pretty unique, interesting thing. And just some 
wild topics that can be very um, impactful in terms of telling a story, right? That, that helps people learn and kind of improves all of our awareness of everything that exists in terms of charities and mental health and, and everything. But it can be hard to kind of broach that subject of like, you know, what are you allowed to do? What's appropriate? And especially when you get into supporting youth, because are they too young to make these decisions to be part of a documentary anyways? When I see some things on Netflix and stuff, I'm like, man, how did they even like get away with that? Or how did it, how did that play out? And how's that going to impact these people in their future? And I think a lot of people who are consuming that content don't think about the implications that it has. But after going to this, this SALT program, it's all I think about when I, when I read or consume mm-hmm. or take in any documentary. So your um, audio documentary, is there a specific term for that? I guess so. I guess what you would call the 10 minute piece that I did is audio documentary, a a story, I guess. A piece, perhaps. An audio piece, a piece maybe. <laughs> but I, you know, I didn't upload it as a podcast, so it's technically not a podcast. It doesn't have an RSS associated with it. It is in an MP3 form somewhere on the internet. <laughs> so that was my next question was, could people listen to this yeah. piece if they wanted to? I believe it's on my website, arielnissenblatt.com. Okay, perfect. When you mentioned your own podcast, yeah, it is funny. There was some cool things and starting it uh, when it came to um, the pandemic and deciding to launch that with a friend. Let's talk a little bit about that process because a lot of people listening probably have ideas for how to start a show. Where could people kind of get started or how should they get started if right now all they're, they've been doing is sort of brainstorming or coming up with ideas? Yeah. If you have an idea for a podcast, awesome. Great. Think about why it should be a podcast first. Should it maybe instead be something that you write? Should it maybe be a YouTube video? If it's going to be a podcast, amazing. Here's what you do. (laughs) Uh, And the reason I, I think you should consider this is because a blog is one thing. You can put it up and it can be a one-off thing. It can be hosted on somebody else's site. A YouTube video can be one thing. It doesn't have to be part of a larger channel. But a podcast, once you put it out into the world, in order for the podcast to continue getting traction, a big thing that we recommend is you have to continue putting content into it. So if you want it to have longevity, you need to have a plan in place to have it keep going. Like I'm sure your podcast has episodes, episodes, episodes. Maybe you bank a few episodes, but you definitely need to be constantly thinking about an exit plan if you don't plan on having it go forever. So if you have an idea for a podcast and it's gonna be an interview show, that's great. I would make a list of the people that you wanna interview. I would start sending out pitch emails to them. Hey, I'm starting a podcast. More details soon. Just wanted to get it on your radar that I'd love to interview you. I would then start thinking about a format for you. So is it gonna be just you interviewing a guest? Is it gonna be you and a co-host interviewing a guest? Is it gonna be just you, no no guest? Are you gonna be just monologuing? Awesome, makes it a little bit easier. Uh, is it gonna be a panel type show where every single episode you have three different people joining you? These are just things that you must iron out beforehand because another thing that I love to advise is you've gotta stay consistent. If it's gonna be an interview show, it should stay an interview show unless you have a special circumstance episode where you let people know, hey, in this episode, we have a panel and I think you're really gonna enjoy this episode. Another thing to think about is, do you wanna spend money on an editor? I say yes. I say, unless you have the skills yourself and the time, it is definitely worth it to spend money hiring a professional. They know what they're doing. They're gonna make it sound good. Your podcast must sound good in order to stand out nowadays because there are over 2 million podcasts. That's a lot to compete with. So you really need to sound good. Your show really needs to be something that you're proud of and that when other people listen to, they're not going to be turned off because
because the audio quality isn't stellar. It needs to be stellar. Once you have all of this ironed out, you can think about your podcast hosting site. That's where your podcast lives on the internet and it's where it gets the RSS feed attached to it so that it can be transferred over to Apple Podcasts and other distribution platforms so that people can consume it. So a few podcast hosting sites, Buzzsprout, Captivate, Simplecast, Libsyn, Podbean, there are so many. From there, you have to think about your marketing plan. So I recommend transcribing every episode, both for accessibility purposes and for SEO purposes. I recommend thinking about social media, but not necessarily jumping on all of the social media. You don't need Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. You don't need all of it. Think about where you shine as a creator, what you're good at on the internet and just go there. And also think about what your content lends itself to. So it could be that you have a great artist friend who makes illustrations for every single episode. In that case, I would recommend having an Instagram because Instagram really prioritizes images. Whereas Twitter, not so much. That's more about threads and writing. So yeah, those are some things to think about. I could go on all day, but I feel like that's a good overview. That was incredible. You've done that before, I know. It's <laughs> It changes every time a little bit, you know? Yeah, it's contextual. Try to keep it try to keep it light. <laughs> Yeah, of course. It, it was great. That was amazing. And I think like in terms of a topic you hardly left, you did not leave anything out. It made me think about five questions probably, which is a fantastic way to have a conversation. <laughs> and one of those being a mentor of mine recently mentioned that he thought it would be worthwhile doing what James Altucher does on his show. He has interviews. And then I think it's every third episode, he'll do a solo 12 minute so that he's not necessarily summarizing those episodes, but creating like bullet point content that helps people learn the topics that they've been talking about. And prior to that, I had always been of the mind that you would never want to do that because it messes up the theme and the vibe. But I love what he did because now on like Spotify or any of the platforms, the episode cards are opposites. So it's like bright blue for interview shows and it's white for solos. I found that the majority of the time in his, if I'm listening to his show, I scroll through and I hit solos. Like I just, I- You like the solos. Like them with- in terms of his, not in general, I think in general, I like interviews, mm -hmm. but his show, I prefer his solos. So I go to those. Wow. And every now and again, I'll go to a uh, interview yeah. with respect to mine, because I'm about to make one of these decisions right now. I am curious about that. Does it actually mess with sort of algorithm or is it more about being clear and having clarity to the audience? I think it's about being clear. I am a huge fan of over communication, big transparency fan. Let people know what you're doing. They can decide based on that if they wanna take part in it. But where I first became aware of this was at On Air Fest in Brooklyn in 2018, I wanna say. I attended a session with, I think it was the founder of NPR or somebody who was very high up in the founding of NPR. And he said, if you're out in the field and you're interviewing somebody and there's wind and your microphone picks up on it, and yes, you can hear the interview, but the wind is undeniable. If you try to pass that off as just an interview, your listeners are not going to trust you because they, they hear something. They hear that 50% of this interview, what I'm consuming is wind and 50% of it is the interview, whereas it should be 100% just the person speaking. And so you wanna say at the front of it, hey, we have a really great interview for you. We hope you enjoy it. Just wanted to let you know there is a bit of wind sound and we think you'll still be able to hear it. It should still be great. Just wanted to acknowledge it. And that makes it so that maybe you only hear 20% wind rather than 50. <laughs> and you're more focused on the interview, but, you, but it's been acknowledged for you so that you're not thinking, am I crazy or is there a lot of wind blowing? And I just took that and I applied it to everything. So 
if we, so when Shira and I, my co-host for counter programming, when we first started having ads, we had not had ads before. And then all of a sudden we had two ads and we really wanted to let people know ahead of time why we were having ads, because a lot of the people who were listening to our show had not listened to podcasts before. We knew that. We knew that that's what our listening demographic was. So we said, hey, in order for us to make some money back, we are taking ads now. So you're gonna hear some ads. We're gonna make them as fun as possible. Just wanted to let you know that that's what you're gonna hear. And that went a long way with our listeners. And again, I apply that to everything. Everything you can think of, over communicate. Yeah, I, I love that. I think that that sort of clarity can really be important. Communication, I guess, is probably a better word than clarity, both clarity and communication. Uh, and that was one of those kind of not fears, but questions I had in this concept of like putting out some solo episodes as well. I would do it. I would let people know in advance, hey, in a few weeks, I'm going to drop an extra episode. It's going to contain X, Y, and Z. The next week, hey, in two weeks, I'm dropping an episode. And then on the day of the episode, hey, this is that episode I was telling you about. Next week, we're going to be back to our normal episodes. But for now, I hope you enjoy this. The reason I'm excited about it is X, Y, and Z. Here's why I think you should be excited about it. Dive in. Yeah, it makes complete sense. I look forward to it. When it comes to the idea of the, I guess, the business side of things, money, making money, because I agree with that idea of hiring an editor. People do ask ask me for tips on podcasting, getting started, etc. It's always a question that I see people come up early on in the journey when to hire an editor. You already touched on that. You're bullish on the idea, obviously, but it can be expensive. So what are some strategies or ideas that you think people can do if yeah. they're starting from square one? Like I know somebody who has a company that has a podcast and they just pump out a ton of money every month to create that and they don't care. But for someone who's wanting to start, you know, they're, they're, they're really thinking that this show is going to be good. Obviously, hiring an editor frees you up to do more interviews and do the things that you are good at, all the reasons you mentioned. What can be the path to profitability so that you can hire an editor and not lose a bunch of money? Well, I think, first of all, you need to look at your time as money too, because like you said, it frees you up to do other things when you're not spending five hours for every one hour that you record. But also think about what your podcast is. If it's an interview show like this, your editing job is not so complex. You're gonna cut out my ums, buts, and ahs. You're gonna cut out the times that I started talking, didn't like what I said, and then went back to start my sentence again. You're gonna cut those things out. That'll take an hour for say this podcast ends up being an hour, maybe it'll take an hour and a half to do that. Maybe it'll take two hours. Then you're going to add on the intro and the outro. So you could learn to do something like that. You could learn to normalize the levels. You could learn to do fade ins and fade outs through a YouTube video that is maybe a half hour long and then practice for a few hours. You could learn that and you could do that yourself. It just takes time and maybe you can automate that process. Maybe you can learn how to make it go faster. But yes, let's talk about how to do, how to make some money. Um, your podcast is not going to make money right away. You could try. You, you could definitely try. Uh, your podcast is about education. You could approach education startups that are either advertising already on podcasts or that don't really know what it means to advertise on podcasts. And you could tell them why they should be advertising on podcasts, that people who listen to podcasts are usually upwardly mobile. They spend, they are ready to commit to these products. And more importantly, I am speaking directly to people who are very interested in education startups. Therefore, I am the perfect advertising partner for you. That takes time also, you know, that takes a lot of time to send out pitches and for those pitches to actually be captivating and for you to actually get a response to them. So I would say do not start a podcast if you are hoping to make money or if you're hoping to recoup some of your costs in the first six months. It's just hard. Even with a podcast that goes on that has been going on for a year, you might make some money back on your podcast, but you're probably not going to make a profit. Over time, you could make a profit. It is a long game though. It is, you need to take some time. You need to build up partnerships. You need to make a name for yourself. 
I would say if you wanna hire an editor, think about some of these, there are some turnkey solutions out there that don't cost too much. You send them your raw audio, you say you want X, Y, and Z, and they'll turn it around for you in a day sometimes. It's not too expensive, but you just need to think about all these considerations. You need to think about where you wanna be spending your time. Do you wanna be spending your time on Podcorn, P-O-D-C-O-R on Podcorn? That's a platform that connects advertisers with podcasters. You can apply to different brands and they either accept you or leave you in limbo forever. <laughs> and um, then you can run ads and you make some money. But again, you need to send out pitches. You know, you need to spend some time. So it's really, I think, a huge cost benefit analysis when it comes to where you're spending money and where you're potentially making money. I love it. I think that for people who are really on that path to once they've decided that podcasting is for them and they're in it for the long haul, that that can be really, uh, really helpful and beneficial to, to have a full understanding of. People do give up a lot on podcasts, though. I've heard something like seven episodes or nine episodes on average. People tend to just give up. Maybe it's even lower. Yeah. What do you think is the, the main reason why people give up? And if you were to, to tell somebody who seems to want to do it some tips to not give up, what, what would be things that you would say? People give up because they're not getting the outcome that they were hoping, which is fame and fortune. <laughs> I think that just has to do with your planning. Are you letting people know in advance? Are you letting yourself know in advance what your goals are for this show? If your goals are to raise awareness for a subject or for an organization or for a topic, great. You need to be in it for the long haul. You need to over time gain listeners. If your goals are to make money, there are easier ways to make money. If your goals are to have your podcast be another piece of content as part of your business, amazing. It's probably not going to lead directly to people signing up for your program or doing whatever your call to action is, but it is acting as a piece of thought leadership. It's a place where you can go and interview people and have access to people that you might not have access to have meetings with otherwise. You know, you can say, can I interview you for my podcast? Maybe that sparks some other conversations on the side. But there are all sorts of reasons for people to start a podcast. And how do you not pod fade? Uh, you have a plan in place. You say, my first season is going to be 12 episodes. I am planning out my 12 episodes in advance. If I hit X number, if I hit these metrics, I will do a second season. If I don't, I will consider an exit plan. Yeah, that's great. That's the exit plan that you referred to earlier. That makes a lot of sense. The last kind of sort of, I guess, practical, pragmatic, like bullet point, this could be a blog post sort of question around how to start podcasting. It would be around this idea of marketing and being able to share it. So you mentioned not being everywhere. Are there any sort of things that people might not be thinking about when it comes to creating awareness, building that community and, and building listeners? As a podcaster, you need to be very willing to listen to your listeners. And that means making channels available for them to get in touch with you. That means giving them opportunities to be involved with the show. So for example, there's a show called Throughline from NPR that does every episode, they have somebody leave a voice note that says, hi, this is Madison from Jackson, Mississippi, and you're listening to Throughline. That's a fun way for your listeners to get involved. I think that's really fun. Uh, I think that also makes Madison from Jackson, Mississippi want to share that episode. So those are some fun things that you can do for community engagement, community involvement in the show, gives them some ownership. There's also, you should be sharing your content elsewhere. So yes, it's a podcast, but you're also a media 
media agency. So you, you're now also creating audiograms, you're creating transcripts. Maybe those transcripts turn into blogs and it is a, it's a lot of work and it depends how much work you wanna put into it, but you wanna make each of those content pieces stand on their own. So your Twitter should not be a place that people go to just to find links to your podcast. That is not interesting to people. It should be a place where if you talk about education, you go in depth on one of the subjects that you discussed within your podcast. And then at the end of that, you say, hey, and we have an episode on this. But each of those pieces of content should stand on their own. If you have a newsletter that points back to your podcast, the newsletter should be a newsletter about education, not a newsletter about your podcast. And here's a link to it. And that's it. But also here's a link to it. That makes a ton of sense. It really does. That will definitely help a lot of people. Uh, speaking of newsletters, earbuds, did you want to just kind of mention what earbuds is and why people might want to subscribe to that? Sure. Earbuds is a weekly podcast recommendation newsletter that sends a themed list of five podcast episodes and each week is curated by a different person. It is my baby and it's how I got started in the podcast space and I've been running it since 2017. Never have missed a Sunday night and we have so many lists of podcasts for you to explore. That's amazing. So email, newsletter, you sign up at earbuds.something. Earbudspodcastcollective.org. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, that's great. I think that compiling stuff like that and curating is something that's underestimated in the podcast space because there are so many and a lot of, I won't say bad podcasts, but ones that won't serve people. How do you um, come up with the lists? I don't. I have a submission form. You can say, I really like beluga whales. I'm going to curate a list on beluga whales. I'm going to find five podcast episodes on beluga whales. I get those submissions and I decide where they're going to go in the calendar. That's amazing. The, the workflow of that makes a lot of sense because it's almost like you're crowdsourcing the effort. Exactly. So I should send you a list sometime. Absolutely. It is a way for me personally. The reason I started it was to scratch my own itch. I wanted to listen to podcasts on different topics. And do you have uh, like a massive waiting list for people submitting? I do. I'm booked out now until February. But if for some reason you're submitting a list about Halloween, I'll probably want to move that up to now, you know? Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. That makes complete sense. So the last thing I wanted to talk about was Squadcast specifically. We're recording today on Squadcast. And I know that obviously that's a big part of the work you do. Did you want to just mention what Squadcast is for people who maybe don't even know? Yeah. Squadcast is a remote recording platform. So it's like Zoom, but magnified, made better for podcasters specifically. So we really prioritize the audio recording and the video recording. So right now we're in a session. I'm looking right at Justin and he pressed a button that said record. When we're finished, he'll click that again. It'll render our files. They'll sound amazing. He'll edit whatever he needs to edit and the podcast will sound great. It's really fun to work for a SaaS program. It's really fun to work for a startup. We're constantly trying to make the product better and suit the needs of podcasters who are using it. Yeah, I'm just a, a big fan of remote recording. I think it's the future. And I think uh, Squadcast is at the forefront of it. This is not an ad, I swear. But <laughs> I personally am a big fan. My own journey in podcasting was figuring things out on my own with Zoom and then moving to Zencaster and then trying to kind of figure out what do I want to do. And like you said earlier, cost benefit analysis. And for me, moving to Squadcast was huge. I'm just coming up on episodes to edit that are using Squadcast now. And I am really excited for that moment because I do genuinely feel it's going to make a big difference in terms of efficiency. So nice. with respect to marketing Squadcast, is that the main role that you do right now when it comes to Squadcast is marketing, community building? 
Yeah. Um, I'm not the marketing manager. We have somebody else who does that, but community definitely has connections to marketing. So yes, I build the community within Squadcast. And what that means is giving a place for our customers to gather online because podcasting can often be a solitary activity. So here is a Slack channel. Here is a Facebook group. Here are some events that you can come together and learn from each other. And I am in charge of all of that. That's the, the last thing I was kind of curious about, because at the very beginning, you mentioned you could talk more about what being a community manager is and how that's defined. Oh. <laughs> I think it's a, a huge job for the, I don't know, future, present across all yeah, that's industries and uh, I guess companies and startups. Yeah, all industry, all, all companies can and maybe should have a community that they're building. Even McDonald's can have a community of beta testers of new hamburgers. You know, there's just opportunities for every company to engage with their community. If somebody wants to become a community manager, how do they get started? Man, um, contact me. Uh, we can talk offline. There's so many, so many different paths you can take and a lot of great newsletters for you to subscribe to that I can share with you. Yeah, that, that's amazing because I hadn't thought of that prior to this interview, but I do have a lot of students in mind, friends in mind where they're looking for those modern kind of ways to work uh, remotely or do different things. And community management, I think is underestimated. I feel like I should do a YouTube video specific to that or something. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. I want to ask you a few themed questions, very rapid fire. But first, um, is there anything that we might have left out or something that you wanted to share that we didn't touch on? I don't think so. No, all good. That's a perfect answer. So the themed questions, the first one is just if you left one piece of advice for the next generation, what would it be? This is tough. Um, I would say don't be afraid to be a big weirdo. Like do what you want and don't let other people question it because it doesn't matter and you should be happy. And as long as it doesn't affect people in a negative way, Great. Uh, the second one is something that you yourself are learning right now. I am currently learning a lot about no-code programs. So how to build websites using no-code. There are a lot of websites that are optimized for this. So I'm learning a lot about automations and how to make my workflow easier when it comes to putting my newsletter together. And it's really fun. And I have hired somebody. I've delegated the responsibility so that they can build my website using no-code and then teach me how to do it. That is something that's a, a skill set that maybe we could talk about if we run this back a few years from now about hiring people, because that's a super interesting thing, how to delegate, how to hire how to figure out what, what to do for that. So I'm glad that's the case for you. That's cool. Uh, and then the third is I like allowing people to take the, the interview chair. If you were to ask me a question that you think answering might help people, what question comes to mind? Hmm, that's, a, that's a fun question. What is something that you wish you could go back to school and study now? Hmm. It's always neat because a lot of times people go really uh, similar and this one's unique. So I like that. I feel kind of stumped like you did on the first question. <laughs> it is fairly quick. I think uh, documentary filmmaking, I would go back and focus on that creative, the things that are really passionate and interesting to me on that sort of right side of the brain. Whereas previously I was in there for, you know, health sciences, kinesiology, things that have very black and white answers. And at the time it was, I don't know, like filmmaking had still made Maybe, but even more so had kind of like a bad rap in terms of like you can't be like a starving artist mentality. Even then I would still have gone into school for that because I think anyone can succeed if they want to. It's not like a saturated thing ever because it's creative. So I would go back and study filmmaking more in depth instead of at like 1am like I'm doing right now. Yeah. So the last thing is uh, where and why might people want to find you online? You can Google my name, Ariel Nissenblatt, and I'm the only one, so you will find me. In the world? I can't wait to find out if I'm not the only one. But yeah, pretty much I'm the only one, as far as I know. That's neat. Yeah, and you might want to find me to talk about community building, podcasts, 
how to use social media to market your podcasts, all of those things. How to sign up to Squadcast. That's right. All those kind of things. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I know it can be hard to take an hour out of your day uh, when we're all so busy and kind of on our own grinds. So I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. It means a lot. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Nice. And see you. Thank you so much for being here. We've had more and more requests coming in from people wanting to come on the show, but we wanna make sure that they serve you, the community best. So if you have a request for anyone you would like to hear from, just let us know. Thank you to today's guest, Ariel. If you ever need anything when it comes to the world of podcasting, clearly she's a great person to follow. And one quick reminder, we will have short solo episodes in between interviews now. So if learning about growth mindset, goal setting, or business in more of a summarized edutainment format is something that interests you, be sure to check them out. The episode cards are white with my cartoon face on them. Until the next episode, all the best. And remember, no matter what life throws at you, just keep learning. You're one step closer to making your big dreams come true, but there's plenty more where that came from. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you know anyone who might love the show, send them a link. We'll see you next time on Just Keep Learning with Justin at Just Tries. 